You might not know his name or recognize his face, but more than likely, you're familiar with his work. Joel Beckerman is an award-winning composer, music producer for film and television, and founder of Man-Made Music, a company that specializes in what's known as sonic branding. They've produced sounds for global giants like Disney. NBC and AT&T. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. I recently caught up with Joel at Man Made Music's studios in Lower Manhattan. So, Joel, do you see yourself at all like the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain? Um, well, I suppose I never really sort of thought of it that way, but it actually makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because when I started out in music and the music business, I was sort of like a lot of people want to be a rock star, right? And I was with, you know, a bunch of bands and we'd write songs and get an amazing act together. And then we got interest from labels or publishers in what are called, uh, you know, these little concerts that you might have, which are called showcases. And then generally what would happen is, oh, the label or publisher would show some interest, and then the band would have a fight, and we'd break up. And it's just like, I hate this. I don't want to do this anymore. And really what it, what it came down to was I had um, some friends. Actually, my wife was in television, and I had some friends in advertising. And I started to sort of get more interested in scoring uh, for television and actually scoring a little bit for radio and scoring for films. And I just found this just amazing world of being able to help tell stories in a different way, really sort of elevate the stories of filmmakers and writers and and uh, a lot of other creative people. And that just kind of really captured my imagination, and I really loved it. Now, I understand it might go even further back than that, that it might have something to do with The Exorcist and Linda Blair. Well, um, yeah, that that's actually true. Uh, I you're, you're putting all the pieces together for me. I really appreciate that. But um, yeah, actually, when uh, when my brother and my sister and I were kids in the basement of our suburban home in suburban New Jersey, um, one of the things that we used to do we had a little uh, television in the basement, and we used to we also had one of those portable organs that at the time. Uh, you know, like a, like a like a keyboard organ, and we at the time it was like you plug it in the wall, and it was like a like a fan in it, and the fan would blow air across these plastic reeds, and that's what would make the sound. So we actually also realized if you flip the organ upside down and you took uh, the the beanbag beans from the beanbag chairs we had in the 70s, which made a lot of sense, um, and put those beans in the organ that you could have them fly aimlessly throughout the room. So we, you know, sort of would do that all the time. And uh, and in particular, what I would do was we put on television shows and sort of turn off the sound, and then I'd sort of rescore the music and sound to those television shows. So it was um, hilarious and uh, really fun. So I guess that would probably be my earliest experience scoring television. And I would imagine it made The Exorcist a whole lot less scary. It sure did. Uh, that was, you know, I think... Um, being the, the older brother who was trying to prove how cool and how tough and how, uh, you know, brave I was, um, we were watching in uh, at night, probably way later than we were supposed to be uh, up, The Exorcist movie. And what I did was uh, turn down the sound again and and rescore the music. And, and really what became like Linda Blair, where their head spinning sort of became a comedy and... Uh, 
then you know again these these peanuts just flying everywhere and we you know the hilarity ensued and we uh we'd sort of crack up and roll on the ground and sort of laugh so laugh so hard till we were crying so what was the road like for you to take this passion for sound and turn it into this man-made music so i i wish i could tell you that this was um all a big master plan and it just wasn't so i moved from scoring uh well first again being in bands and and writing songs and and doing a lot of live shows in in horrible uh you know venues where you'd get you know 10 bucks a night or something uh to managing recording studios and actually doing what what at the time they were calling publishing demos so songwriters would come from all over new york city this is before people really had home recording studios they'd come in with a rough song idea and i'd have maybe eight hours to score or actually eight hours to arrange and produce a demo for that uh for that song and then they go try to sell the song so i did that for a while which sort of segued into uh, a friend of mine was, you know, working in advertising. So I started scoring some commercials for ads. And honestly, that was pretty fun. It was the first time I was actually making any kind of reasonable money, I think, doing this. And I think my parents sort of breathed a sigh of relief when I started doing that. But I realized, you know, that the form was a little bit limiting. And it started to feel a little bit kind of like, uh, you know, might be working at a deli where it's like, oh, it's a number four with extra cheese and pickles on the side. And uh, those routines kind of got a little bit tired. And that's when I really, through a few friends who had been in advertising, discovered television and discovered this amazing medium where it's perfectly suited for me. I'm a variety junkie. So I love Monday to be different than Tuesday, different than Wednesday, different than Thursday. And I like to really flex all my musical muscles. So one day I could be working on a drama, which was orchestral. Another day I could be working on a comedy with quirky little instrumentation. The next day, I could really be working on like a sports or a news theme or something like that. So it really sort of suited my uh, suited my personality and what I love to do musically and really not tread the same area twice. Um, but then actually in the last five or six years, it sort of took on a whole another dimension. So it was a point I was I was scoring a television show. It was actually the same six minutes of a television show over and over and over and over again because they kept recutting the film. And this happens in television sometimes where you can't get – a sequence is not quite working right. Um, unfortunately, in this case, there was really no way they were going to get it right because it hadn't been envisioned properly. It hadn't really been shot properly. Yet they kept recutting it and sending it back to me. And dutifully over the next 24 hours, I'd rescore that hand, you know, the same sequence over and over again trying to fix it. And at some point, by by the time it came to be the seventh time where they had sent me another cut, I'm staring at the screen really just kind of in shocked disbelief and saying to myself, I would actually like to score anything in the world except what's on the screen right now. And that actually, I mean, it's like, uh, I just took a light bulb went off. I said, well, that's really an interesting idea. And later, what I realized is all of these things that I've learned about storytelling and and communicating and and sort of bringing people emotionally through a story, connecting the dots for them, helping sort of think about uh, character and think about setting and how I can move action forward. All those things that I learned in television, that I could apply that to every all these experiences and, and stories off the screen. So that's really the, the area that, that sort of the growth area and the thing that um, really prompted the book that I wrote, which is called The Sonic Boom. The subtitle is How Sound Transforms the Way We Think, Feel, and Buy. 
And the sonic boom was really the sort of the, the culmination of all the thinking and realizing that all these things that I did as a scoring composer, I can apply to experiences like hospitals. Uh, what's the soundtrack of hospitals? Um, because hospitals actually are a horrible place to, uh, to try to get better. Actually, the soundtracks of hospitals make you sick because um, in a typical emergency room, uh, there are somewhere between seven and 10 medical devices, each of them alarming, not knowing that the other device is alarming. And each one of them speaks a different language and none of them speak to each other. So really, as a result, you end up with this tremendous cacophony of sound uh, that is alarming and meaningless. It's, it's scary to the patients. It doesn't help the caregivers do their job. So we're actually working with uh, Memorial Sloan Cancer, uh, Cancer Center and actually some hospitals on the West Coast in terms of helping to figure out how we can music and, use music and sound to make those experiences better for people. So now we're also involved in scoring theme parks. Uh, Turner hired us to work on a soundscape for their cartoon network area of a uh, theme park in Dubai. So we're also doing things like creating sounds for devices so uh, making those device experiences much more intuitive, helping people learn those devices. We're also doing things like large-scale spaces, like stadiums. We scored the entirety of the fan experience at Dallas Cowboys Stadium, which is, uh, you know, AT&T has a sponsorship there, and AT&T shows up in some experiences, but a lot of the experiences are just Cowboys experiences for the fans there. So we continue to sort of push the boundaries of all the places that we can apply music and sound, really scoring all those experiences off the screen in the same way that I score them for television. What would you say was one of your earlier projects where you said to yourself, wow, this is it. I've made it. I know what I'm doing here. This is the project. This is going to take me where I want to go. It's funny. I don't experience my career as one project sort of changes everything. What I do experience is... There are certain projects that I would say, you know, are are really markers in my career where maybe there's some new possibilities and things that have opened up. So certainly uh, acting as a soundtrack producer for feature film composer John Williams on redoing all the music that he had done for NBC News. Uh, you know, I'd spoken to all the executive producers from all the programs and had the opportunity, you know, to actually work with, with uh, Mr. Williams Maestro Williams during that time was very exciting. That actually led into the opportunity of taking his theme, which he had created for football for NBC, and reinvigorating it, sort of rewriting it, reworking it with hybrid instrumentation, a lot of synthetic instrumentation and guitars, in addition to the orchestra um, for the NBC Super Bowl and the NBC season uh, of football. So that's certainly a uh, I think a, a memorable moment um, for me and certainly opened up a lot of other possibilities for me. And I would say uh, also just recently being able to create a voice for IMAX, which is a brand I love. I just, I'm, I'm a huge movie goer and I, I love, uh, you know, I, I personally, I love going to IMAX uh, theaters because I, you know, you get that much more sort of visceral experience out of the IMAX productions, visually, musically, sonically. And uh, to help them come up with a voice 
for their brand that was unique and iconic for them that they can own and go forward. So they, they can essentially live in the ecosystem with all these amazing entertainment brands, you know, the big studios, uh, you know, Universal and Sony and, and also the big movie brands. So now we've come up with a sound where in the countdown you'll hear at the beginning of every IMAX movie, they can actually stand toe-to-toe with those amazing entertainment brands, and now they get credit for what they provided the equation, which is this amazing best place in the world to experience a movie. Speaking of movies, you are the guy behind the music that leads to the HBO feature presentation, right? And that is something that really builds a lot of excitement for me when I'm watching an HBO movie. I think without that, I wouldn't be as excited for it. Well, I I certainly had a hand in it. Um, That, again, was a 25-year-old theme that has been around forever and really needed to be reinterpreted. It really needed to be uh, sort of evolved. And if you listen carefully um, in that music that's used on HBO, it's it's sort of the core notes. Da-da-da. Just those last three notes. Sometimes that's all you hear, but it is uh, iconic enough that even though we've sort of reinterpreted it with new notes at the beginning and the middle, and some, and actually in some of the iterations of it, it's really just a, a tone, just an emotion, just an underscore. Um, but then you hear those last three notes, then uh, immediately it triggers that memory of that iconic theme that you've been hearing for 25 years. Actually, that that's in, in writing the book, The Sonic Boom, that was actually one of the things that I learned, um, I sort of knew it intuitively, but I got a chance to read a, a lot of amazing studies that were done by neuroscientists in terms of like really understand the neuroscience of what's going on with this, that you emblazon these memories in people's minds and that, you know, months, years, decades later, that you hear that iconic melody and it triggers that emotion as though it immediately is happening right now. So it's just, it's fresh for the first time. So when you think about uh, how we live our lives, uh, certainly um, if you think about the theme song maybe that was the theme for your high school prom, okay, and then you don't hear it for 20 years and all of a sudden you hear that theme and just immediately all your emotions are sort of triggered and then your memories are triggered and all of a sudden you're back in that high school dance and, you know, you remember your high school girlfriend and you remember exactly what happened moment to moment. Um, I'm always really amazed at what those kinds of iconic musical moments mean to us and actually how they connect us to each successive uh, sort of chapter in our lives going forward. So how would you describe your creative process? The process really varies so uh, in so many different ways, but there are certain things that are that are similar with every single project uh, that I work on and that I work on with my team here at Man Made Music. So first of all, it really is about understanding the story. So I, I always feel like that the work that in the work that we do, there always has to be a powerful story or we have to help create a powerful story. And powerful stories are stories that certainly are meaningful or are going to you know, stand the test of time. So the first thing is we need to really undercover and have a real, real clarity on that story. And those can be entertainment stories. They can be brand stories. They can be stories about individuals. We have to find these, this amazing story because in, 
in these stories, those are the emotions that we have to capture. And we have to be very, very specific about those emotions and the emotional story points that we're trying to get across. So that's the first thing. The second part of what we do in our process really is very much about trying to understand, well, what are we trying to accomplish in this storytelling? How are we, how are we looking to, um, to score the experience for people? Sometimes it's how do we lead them through the story? You know, and sometimes it's really about, well, the story is the same everywhere. So, uh, for instance, I talked about IMAX's story, which is very much around actually the, um, the, the story that we're looking to tell with IMAX is IMAX sounds like pure experience. So what does pure experience sound like to moviegoers? What does it sound like to directors? What does it sound like to students who maybe are learning uh, filmmaking? So what we're looking then to do is to make sure that in every project that we do for a company like IMAX, whether it's digitally uh, in terms of digital shorts that show up on the web or in the theaters or in China and when, they're when they're expanding, is how do we then uh, sort of connect the dots on the technology side, on the experience side, in all these different places that they show up. So that, that's really the second part of it is sort of the – so that, that's the you know, right brain, left brain part of it. It's, it's the emotional story and then what do we need to do? What do we need to actually accomplish? And then really the third part of the process is very much about um, sort of coming up with references in the world. Um, we call it cultural context. So in cultural context, we look at what are the, what are the litmus tests or really what are the points in culture right now – that are most relevant to this project. So, for instance, we're talking about IMAX. We could talk about fandoms. Well, what great fandoms are out in the world right now? What can we learn from um, looking at the Walking Dead fandom? What could we look at uh, from different fandoms around the world and how fandoms are showing up successfully right now? And we have people who focus on that cultural context. So we can sort of understand that and be influenced and sort of be inspired by that. The next step really for us is uh, going to write the music and create music or sometimes it's curate music. We find music out in the world that's perfect for telling a particular story. And, you know, sometimes it's there are songs out in the world that we, we might want to license or use as part of the project. Um, and then once we're creating and curating, the next step really is the consumer insights part of it where we actually will do we, – we have a proprietary methodology of testing called Sonic Pulse Research. What Sonic Pulse tells us is the impact and the effectiveness of the music that we're applying to that story. So we have our instincts, which are really important, but we want to test that out with the actual customers and the people who are actually going to experience this, the audiences. You know, For us, serving the audiences and serving their experience is the most important thing. So we need to do a little gut check. Sometimes, especially when we're creating music and sound that we know is going to exist throughout throughout the world, we want to make sure that that music and sound is going to have the same impact across cultures. And we want to make sure that, again, we're validating our instincts about how we're telling that story, what emotions we're triggering, and how we're leading people point to point to point um, in you know all the different ways that they can experience that story for that brand or television show. How do you think an individual can use music and sound to advance themselves, to brand themselves? There's so much that's been written about uh, 
and uh, actually spoke about this at Penn State University last weekend. There's so much that's been written about about personal branding, and I don't think people sometimes necessarily would know really what brand is or what branding is, but they know when they see it and they know when it's done well. So I, I think a great personal brand, in a lot of ways, it's the sum total of all the communications and way pe- the ways that people experience you as a person. So now each one of us has probably multiple social media accounts. So that is a worldwide platform for you to tell people who you are. So what if at the bottom of your LinkedIn page, you could link to certain links of music uh, or movie clips or whatever it is that gave some people what really what a little bit of a sense of who you are as a person. So that's just sort of one example um, in, in terms of being able to express your personal brand. I, I can just tell you that, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I think of music as my favorite drug. It happens to be legal. It also happens to be available. And I know that there are some moments where, you know, maybe I've got to get some work done and I'm going to use music to get myself sort of up and motivated. Uh, Sometimes I might use uh, music or sound purposely chosen to sort of relax at the end of the day or get myself ready for bed. So I think that, you know, we, we have this amazing opportunity all around us right now to really curate our experiences, our own personal experiences with music and sound. So I think about music and sound in terms of personal branding sort of both ways, really, is how you project yourself out to other people and also how you might guide your own experiences. The essential thing about the book, The Sonic Boom, there's about 40 stories in it. And in that, in that uh, each one of those stories gives us a little bit of a clue about how we are wired for sound as human beings. We may not recognize it, but every single moment of our lives is scored by music and sound. Every single moment. And it's always there. It's guiding our choices. It's changing our mood in an instant. And it's making and breaking emotional connections between us and the outside world. And, uh, you know, there's a story in the book about, for instance, the civil rights movement and the fact that it was really scored by spirituals because MLK quoted those spirituals in his speeches which then inspired people in the sit-ins during the civil rights movement to sing spirituals, which then inspired artists to create their own versions and variations, arrangements of those spirituals, which then ended up being on the radio. So really when you think about uh, movements in the world, there are many movements that are really scored by music and sound. So I think also when I talk to people about starting up their own business, I, I, I try to help them see some of these points where music and sound can help them trigger their own movement. Uh, certainly, you know, and there are a bunch of brands I'd love to get my hand on, you know, hands on. I would love to, you know, create a score for Doctors Without Borders. Wonderful brand doing amazing uh, work out in the world. People will say, oh, it's not a brand. It's a, it, it's a, it's a charity. It's a whatever. No, no, it's a brand. People know what they stand for. People know what they mean. Uh, and music and sound can really be used to sort of help that. It, for, first of all, it helps people sort of deepen their emotional connection and emotional understanding of what that brand is about. And the other thing is, just like we were talking before, that it triggers memories and triggers emotional reactions 
So that being said, are you suggesting that people create their own soundtracks, put it on when they're trying to brainstorm ideas? Actually, on my uh, author website, which is sonicboombook.com, there are, I think, about a half a dozen playlists that you can, any, any one of the listeners can go tune into right now. Um, there's one that is about focus, that when you really do need to kind of disconnect from the rest of the world and get focused and, and really have your brain, your mind focused, this is a playlist I suggest. If you don't like that one, you can set up another one, but I bet it'll help you. Um, and then there, there's another one, which is get energized, which is, um, look, I use these playlists myself. Uh, and and certainly uh, Monday morning, I'm, I tend to jump to that energized playlist or something else that's like it. Um, so those are those playlists are on the author website really just to sort of give people a little sense of what they can do for themselves. And it certainly is something that uh, I think can be very valuable to almost anyone. How do you manage flexing your creative muscle while managing a business? Well, first of all, I have a wonderful team uh, and the fact that for the most part, they are really running the business of man-made music day to day. Uh, and they allow me the freedom and flexibility to be involved in, in projects to a greater level or a, a lesser level. I mean, in general, I'm still listening to and working with people in every single project we work on. Um, but there are some places where I feel that I have more to offer and some, some places that the unbelievable team here really can manage themselves. So that's actually incredibly, uh, incredibly valuable to me and really a big part of the formula. The other thing is they all recognize that as a creative person, I need to follow my curiosity. So, for instance, there's a film that I just completed, uh, which is going to be released by Lionsgate called Cook Off. And I took off basically eight weeks from Manmade, most, I wouldn't say full time, but certainly most of the time to actually complete that score. Super exciting um, comedy. It's sort of like, uh, imagine sort of best in show mashed up with the Food Network. And uh, it's got an extended cameo with Melissa McCarthy in it. And it's just a hilarious film. It was one of those films I just couldn't turn down. Um, I'm not doing as many films uh, these days, but it was something I just couldn't turn down because I was so excited creatively to work on it. But really, the, the, the short of it is I have an amazing staff, an amazing team of creative and technology and strategy professionals who just do an amazing job here and really give me that freedom and flexibility. Have you encountered any failures along the way that led to future successes because you learned lessons from that failure? I sort of half joke with my staff that uh, I feel like I, I fail miserably four or five times every morning before breakfast. Um, that, you know, it, it's I think that the only way you innovate and come up with new and interesting, exciting things is if you take risks. Um, there's one story from the Sonic Boom book, which is around uh, – creating the sonic identity for AT&T. And at one point, we uh, brought a piece of music that had been sort of universally liked uh, to a larger team at AT&T, and they pointed out all the flaws in it, that it actually was a bit sunny, it was a bit happy, it didn't feel like it really was uh, capturing the fact that there is a, a constant uh, set of challenges 
You're thinking about things like web security and thinking about challenges like trying to keep up with all the traffic that is exploding on the internet and, and all these kinds of things, that the story that we told wasn't quite true. It seemed a little bit musically, a little bit um, too happy and, and too um, sunny. So that was a pretty big failure. And it was one of those moments where we had to pretty much start over from scratch and kind of lick our wounds and start all over again. But at the end of the day, we have to be true to the audiences that we're serving. It's, it's the most important thing. If we're really true to the audiences and we're telling them the truth of music and sound and we're really um, leading them through a story that, that resonates for them and that is really for them, then our clients are going to love us. That honestly is probably the biggest secret to our business is we're not sitting here uh, looking to, to please clients. We're really looking to please audiences because we know if we please our audiences that we are going to please our clients. You're the sound and music expert, so what sound or piece of music should we go out on, Joel? Let's go with YouTube Beautiful Day. There we go. Joel, thank you so much. Thank you. It's great to meet you. It's a beautiful day. Joel Beckerman is the founder of Man Made Music. His book, The Sonic Boom, How Sound Transforms the Way We Think, Feel, and Buy, is published by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt Publishing Company. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. You can find more shows online at wfuv.org slash cityscape or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producer Zach Zalis, and thanks to you for listening. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.